Good morning, everyone. Um, glad to see y'all here. And as like Paul said earlier, it's awesome to see that our church is packed. It's like consistently these past, I don't even know how many weeks, but it's becoming normal and it's awesome to see. And it's awesome to see just not just physical growth, but seeing like the spiritual growth and the family that uh, Crosspoint is becoming. Um, so today we're going to continue on in this uh, series that Paul has been doing in Philippians. Um, and this sermon um, from the notes Paul had wrote up for the entire series, um, and then just me reading through the passage, like the title works perfectly, Lights in the World. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, however, before we get into it, I want to pray just for myself to calm nerves, but also just over this church. So if you guys would join me in prayer. Father, I come for you this morning. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for today. I thank you for this place that we can gather together, uh, both to lift up your name in praise, to study your word, and just to be in the presence of your spirit. Lord, I pray this morning that you will just work a blessing and a miracle upon me, that I would be nothing more than a messenger, neither adding to you nor taking away anything that you would have me to say. Um, and Lord, that you would allow your spirit to move powerfully and meaningfully in the lives of each and every one of us here today. Lord, bless this church and just help it to be the greatest light for you that it possibly can be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so lights in the world, right? That's our, that's our topic. Um, our main passage is going to be in Philippians. Um, and it's the next passage after what Paul preached on last week. So Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Now, before we actually get into that, though, I want to kind of start off with a setting, some context. Um, if you've been to the gathering for multiple weeks, you'll know that I like to you know, set things up before I actually go into it. Um, so if we're going to talk about being lights in the world, we first need to talk about the opposite of that. And the reality is that we live in a world that's shrouded by darkness. Um, that's just the reality of it. And in the time that Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, the world was shrouded in darkness. In the time when Jesus was in the world, the world was shrouded in darkness. Um, and this is, takes on many forms. You can think of it as, oh yeah, the world's shrouded in darkness because it's a fallen world with sin. And to a certain degree, yeah, there's sin in the world. There's this direct rebellion against God that's happening everywhere around us. Um, people fully pushing away the things of God and corrupting the good things that he's given us. Um, but as I was going through and just contemplating, like, what is this darkness that um, we talk about? There's so much evil in the world as well. People harming their fellow man, whether just because they can, or they think they're superior to them, or they find some type of pleasure in harming each other. There's just this evil within our world um, and within people. Um, and then, especially if you're like looking at the news, looking at politics, hate is abundant in our world, right? Us versus them. Um, we're going to win and going to cut down everyone who's against us. Um, there's this there's just people have forgotten how to love each other. And so hate abounds within our world. And the one that gets me, that gets me the most is the world. When I look at the world and I see the way people live, so many people are hopeless. Um, whether it's, they believe that when you close your eyes and you take your last breath, that that's the end of life, right? And there's nothing after it. And if we're honest, if that's what it is, then this life kind of sucks, right? Um, 
like you work all day, come home and then take care of stuff. And like your entire life is just working to survive for the most part. And then like, there's nothing after that. Yeah, that's, that kind of sucks. I can see how that would be hopeless. Um, and so people are living lives grasping for any amount of hope they can get. And the thing that breaks my heart is the amount of people each and every day that decide, you know what, it's better to end my life than to keep living this life. Hopelessness abounds within our world right now. And all this stuff, this is just barely scratching the surface of just how dark this world is, just how much it needs some source of light within it. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what I'm hoping to impart in the sense that we are to be lights in the world. So like I said, our main passage is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. You go ahead and read the entire thing all at once. Um, so Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to be lights in this world of darkness. Now, Paul doesn't explicitly phrase it this way here, but in some other scripture that we're going to look at, um, and just in general in reading the Bible, Paul is not saying that we're a light in the world, like we're one of many lights in the world. But the reality of this is, is that we are the light in the world. There is no other light, right? The world is in darkness, and the church is supposed to be the light. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a monumental task, because the world desperately needs light. It desperately is looking for something to pull it out of the darkness, and it's not getting it. And when I look at the Western church, as in like North American church, European church, like the Western civilization church, we're failing at that. How many times do you see churches in the news that are turning people away, that are sowing seeds of hate and disdain among people instead of being the light of the world, right? So we have this monumental task of not just being light to the darkness, but also writing the perceived notion of what the church is to this world. Um, because the world doesn't see the church as light most of the time. Because they see all the mistakes and all the people that are disingenuous within the church. So we have this monumental task before us, but, but Paul does not leave us without any hope of being able to somehow accomplish this monumental task. If we, back, if we go into Philippians and read verse 13 again, Paul says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, when you read that, God is working to will and to work for his good pleasure, you can stop and think to yourself, well, God is just doing stuff to stroke his own ego, right? That's what he could. No, what God finds pleasure in, which is the beauty of this, is he finds pleasure in the salvation of souls. 
He finds pleasure in the redemption of people. He finds pleasure in people coming from darkness to light. So when God says he's working for his good pleasure in us, what that means is God is working for the hope that our lives will be better, that we will come out of this place of sin and evil and hatred and hopelessness and come to a place where there is a love and hope that abounds in a manner that we can't even fully comprehend on this earth. And the great thing about this, great thing, that's what he wants for us, and it is God who works in us to accomplish that. So if you use an analogy of, you know, we're supposed to be lights, we are lights in the world, right? You can use an analogy of like, you're holding a torch and walking through the night, right? You're being a light to the darkness. So the beauty in this passage is that we don't have to find the torch ourselves. We don't have to figure out how to light the torch, and we don't even have to figure out where to go with the torch, right? Essentially, because God works in our lives to accomplish his good pleasure, which is bringing light to the world, God is giving us this torch already lit. And if we are following God, we're going to go where we need to go to bring that light to the people that need that light. All we have to do is take the torch and hold it up and follow, right? It's not on us to try and actually be the light of the world. We simply are to carry that light where God leads us. So in the way that I think through things, my next question after reading this, after going through this, so what is light for the believers? Right, I gave a very brief description of what is darkness to believers, but what is light? Now this may, some of you may know like roughly what I'm about to say because it's going to be kind of a Sunday school answer, but regardless, we're going to go into the book of, into the gospel of John. I've got two verses, chapter eight, verse 12 and chapter nine, verse five. So in John chapter 8, verse 12, it reads, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then chapter 9, verse 5, this is still Jesus talking. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what is the light for believers? Jesus, right? Uh, again, like I said, it's a Sunday school answer. But... The reality of it is, is that is who the light is. Jesus is, he was, and he always will be the light of the world. If you go back to John chapter 1, verse 1, I'm not going to actually read it verbatim, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and uh, I forget the rest of it. Anyway, the Word being Jesus, right? That's what John's ultimate point there in chapter 1 is. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And then if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the first recorded word of God is let there be light. So Jesus, from the inception of creation, is the light of the world. He's the word of God made flesh, and the first thing God says is let there be light. Let there be Jesus. And that persists all the way till the very end, till the judgment day, when Jesus' unrestrained righteousness, glory, and light shines and heaven and earth pass away. Our current creation ends. So from the very beginning of our creation, all the way through to the very end, Jesus is the light of the world. There is no other light. So, Jesus being truly what, truly being light. The reason I read that second verse in John is because it tells us what we are, right? We're to be lights in the world, but we are not the light of the world, right? That's Jesus. 
And as Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But Jesus is not in the world anymore, right? He lived. He allowed himself to be killed. He was put in a tomb, and then three days later, got up and got out of that tomb, and then 40 days later, ascended to heaven, where he now sits, advocating on our behalf and preparing a place for our eternity. Jesus is no longer here. He was, but he's gone. So if the source of light is no longer here, then how does this world get light? That's us. So I used the analogy of holding a torch up earlier, right? But that's kind of a poor analogy for what we actually are. The better way to think of it is we're holding a mirror, right? We're holding a mirror. We don't emit light ourselves. Instead, what we do is we try to reflect the light of Christ to the world. And the only way that we can reflect light is if we're following Jesus. So if Jesus is there, we're following him, we're holding a mirror, that light's hitting us and reflecting. But if Jesus is there and we're walking this way, our mirror gets no light. It hits our back, it hits our side, and we are just white noise to the world. We're darkness to the world because we're not following Christ. So what this tells us is that the reason we follow Jesus Guys, it's not to try and be better than everyone else. It's not for the sake of stroking God's ego. It's not for the sake of any of that. We follow and obey Jesus because it's the only possible way we have to reflect Christ's light. If we're not following Jesus, if we're not being like him, we can't be light to the world. We are just more darkness for the world to get lost in. Um, and I'm going to go back to, that, to Philippians. And this is Paul writing, but verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul is telling them, like, he's not, I'm not with you, but you need to obey, even more so because I'm not with you, right? And that's Paul writing to the Philippians, but let's take that same verse and read it as Jesus to us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. When Jesus was on earth, the light of the world was on earth. Us reflecting it was not needed as much because the literal source of light was here. But that source is now in heaven. So even more so than when Jesus was here on earth, he needs us to follow and obey that we can be the light of the world in his absence that we can reflect that light to all those around us who need it. That is the goal of the church. I have a note here. Um, Jesus is the light of the world, right? Beginning to end. How is Jesus the light of the world? What did Jesus do to be the light of the world? If you weren't here last Sunday, if you didn't watch the stream, um, or didn't go back and watch it on YouTube, I would implore you, I would beg of you to go do so, because Paul's sermon last week is why, goes over why Jesus is the light of the world, right? I'm going to quickly go back, and we're going to read verses 5 through 11, um, just as a refresher on it, but that will give you a much more in-depth look at this. But verse 5, have your mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is the light of the world because he came here to show a love that we can't comprehend. He came here to give hope to us when we had no hope. He came here to be the example of what a righteous life looks like. The way Jesus lived while he was here on earth is the very reason that he is the light of the world. Um, so the topic of this sermon is something that's been on my mind for almost two months at this point. Um, and it's from a specific passage in Matthew that's been on my mind. So I want to go back to there. Um, this is Matthew chapter five. Um, it's verses 14 through 16. It's part of Jesus's sermon on the Mount when he's preaching to all of his followers. Um, and Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Every time I hear this verse, every time I read this verse, every time the idea of a city on a hill is brought up, I have this very vivid imagery, right? I have this imagery that I'm walking down this dark road, middle of night, no stars in the sky. In the distance, I can see this kind of dark outline of a mound of a hill, right? And there's just a slight glow coming from the top of it. And as I get closer, I can start to make out walls. Um, I can start to make out a couple of buildings that kind of tower over the walls, and there's light flooding out of the windows. And as I get even closer, I can see light pouring out of the gates. And I know that I've found a place of safety. Right, I've found the one place that actually has light in this complete darkness that I'm wandering in. That's the imagery that comes to mind every time I read this verse. And if we stop and think about it, take that imagery. If that city had had their gates shut and barred closed, if they had had the window shutter closed, if they had the lanterns brought inside the houses, there wouldn't be any light, right? Sure, inside the houses and within the city, there'd be light. They would still have that. They would still have that themselves. But as I'm walking down the road, I'm not going to see it, right? That that city is going to be hidden from me. I'm going to walk right on by, shrouded in darkness for the rest of my journey. And in the same way, whether you want to use a city on the hill as your analogy, whether you want to use a lamp on a stand, we're meant to be seen by all. We are meant to be the beacon of hope for this entire world, for everyone who's stuck in the darkness. That's the purpose of the church, right? We often describe it as, describe the church as a hospital for sinners. That's the most common term I hear used. That's true, but we're also supposed to be this beacon of hope, this place of safety where people can come and get away from the evil outside these walls, from the evil outside of this group. That's what we're supposed to be. Um, I'm going to go ahead and have most of the band come up here as I'm kind of wrapping up. Um, I'm going to pose a question to you guys. 
how can we be a beacon of hope to the world if we are constantly hiding behind a facade of complacency and fitting in and trying to not offend people, trying to not allow Christ to be shown in our lives? We can't. If we constantly hide behind that facade, if we constantly try and live our lives in such a manner to where we just fit in with the crowd, like we're no different from the rest of the crowd, then the frailty of life becomes ever more apparent. Because every moment we do that could be the very last moment, whether it's our own lives, whether it's someone else's life, be the very last time that we have the chance to share light with those around us. Or it could be the very last time that someone will pass by a source of light in their life. And if we hide behind that facade, if we try to hide the light of Christ, then we have left them stranded in the darkness. So, I have a challenge, and I have a charge, whatever you want to call it. We, as believers, as Crosspoint, as the Big C Church, however you want to look at this, you and I have an obligation. We are to stand strong and unyielding in our faith and devotion to Christ so that the world might not be swallowed by darkness. Because the reality of this is, if we don't take on this responsibility, then who's left to do so? There isn't anyone. I'm going to ask if Rodney would go to one side or the other. Um, I'm also going to ask if Ashley would go to the other side. Um, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. It's really hard if you've gotten to a point in life where you're used to wearing that facade, where you're used to hiding that light, trying to just fit in and not be vulnerable with the people around you. Be honest, it is hard to go from being that, like that to opening up and being a light to the world and letting your guard down and letting, use the analogy to say, letting those gates be open because that means people are going to persecute you. They're going to try and break down the things that you believe in. You're going to stand out like a sore thumb because the, the world is darkness. The people that don't have Jesus are shrouded in darkness. And if you're going to live for Jesus, you're going to be a light and you're going to stick out in a manner more so than anything else. So it's not an easy task. It's one that requires you to be willing to do that, one that requires you to be willing to be vulnerable with those around you. And so I would ask to just be vulnerable. I'm gonna be up here. If you wanna pray over anything, literally anything. I'm here to pray with you. If you don't want to come forward, Ashley and Rodney are back there. Um, if you don't know Jesus, if you have not received the light yourself, again, the frailty of life is real. And there's never a better decision you could make in your life if there's not a more important decision you can make in your life than that decision, than to know Jesus, to receive that light, that love, that hope that he offers. And so I beg of you not to leave this place, not to talk to someone and ask questions to begin that conversation. I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to lift a few songs of praise up to our God. Jesus, I want to come before you again this morning. 
I want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you that we are not left in a world shrouded with darkness, but that you came and gave us light. God, that you came and decided we were worthy, that we were worth being loved, that we were worth being pulled out of this darkness. And Lord, I'm thankful that you include us in your work to pull others out of that darkness. You very easily have just pulled us out and said, okay, you can just go on your merry way, but Lord, you, you see some worth in us that, that I, just, I don't see in myself that I can minister alongside you, that I can be used for your good pleasure in making lives better and bringing more people to you. Lord, I give thanks that every time someone repents, every time someone comes to you, that there's rejoicing in heaven in a manner so much greater than there is here on earth. I thank you that that is your good pleasure that despite all of your power, all of your authority, and all your righteousness, that you still love us and your pleasure is found in loving us. So Jesus, I pray for everyone here. God, I pray that you will break down facades, that you will tear away anything that we put over ourselves to hide that light that Christ has given us. And Lord, I pray you burden our hearts. You burden our hearts to be lights to the world. Because Jesus, if we don't reflect your light, then who will? Be with us today. And Lord, I pray that this prayer, this praise that we lift up to you is a joyful noise into your ears. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.